0: Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guests today are Bel Hernandez-Casillo, who is CEO of Latin Heat Media, and Naibé Reynoso, who is founder of Con Todo Press. We will discuss entrepreneurship among Latinas. Bel has over 25 years in the entertainment industry, first as an actress, then transitioning into entertainment media, as founder of the first entertainment trade publication focused on Latinos in Hollywood, Latin Heat Entertainment. She also owns a production company and a streaming platform. As a producer, she co-created, executive produced, and hosted three TV talk shows. The current one, The Trend Talk, a talk show which highlights Latinos, currently airing on the METV's network in Los Angeles at KAZA. Naive is a Mexican-American multi-Emmy award-winning journalist based in Los Angeles, California. She is also author of Be Bold, Be Brave, Eleven Latinas Who Made U.S. History, a children's book. She has worked and contributed to various regional, national, and international networks, including KTLA, France 24, Univision, Reels channel CNN en Espanol, the biography channel Fox News Latino, Larry King's O.R.A.T.V., TV, and filled in as a co host on ABC's The View. She also co created The Trend Talk, a one hour talk show, and co founded the events company Latina Fest LLC, which produced more than a dozen events in the Los Angeles area. Belle Naibe, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Elena. Let's start with something so basic we all think we know the answer, but increasingly there is no agreement, there's confusion, there are differences of opinion. What do we mean? There are all these terms out there. There's Latinos, there's Latins, there's Latinx, there's Hispanic. So when we say Latinas, what do we mean?
1: Well, um, for me personally, when we say Latinas, I I identify as a Latina, and I am talking about women who have an origin in a Latin American country, uh, even Spain. Uh, the commonality being that we all speak some form of Spanish, whether it's uh, a little bit different here and there. But we are all Latinos and one of the important things to point out is that when people say Latina or Latinos, uh, especially here in the United States, they're referring to, to, uh, all of us. They're not differentiating between, okay, well, she's Colombian, she's, she's Mexican. So to me, Latino is, is, and Latina is a form of unity of putting us all under one group because there is power in numbers but the fact is that we're all different and those differences don't go away just because we have that label but it's just easier because that that name also is tied to the buying power that we have our buying power together is the latino latina buying power
2: and i'd like to chime in about this new Latinx term that has kind of been a recent occurrence, right? Um, That's, you know, some people don't like the term because they feel like the term Latinx is destroying the Spanish language because it's really not, from a derivative of Spanish when you put in the X, right? So Latinx pretty much means a person of Latin American origin or descent, but it's used as a gender-neutral or non-binary alternative to Latino or Latina. Um, Mainly millennials or the younger generations use it but i think that term is still kind of up for discussion um i'm not sure if it's going to survive in the long term but it may because it is a term that more younger people or younger generations use and obviously you know they're going to if they keep using it especially in interviews and media then it will live on but i feel, but the older generations are not that happy with that term because all of a sudden this new Latinx term popped up and where did it come from? Why are we using it? And like I said, some people feel like it's not really uh, lang- uh, not really being authentic to the Spanish language because it should be Latina or Latino. So Latinx is kind of controversial for some people.
0: Yeah, I just found a, an article published by P- the Pew Center. -hmm.
2: The Pew Research Center.
0: And from August of this year, August 11th, and they echo what you're saying, Naibe, which is essentially that, um, first of all, many Latinos have not heard the term. Only 3%, according to this research, are using it, even though one in four Hispanics are aware that it exists so obviously there is some resistance and i have heard from other people before well why do you need the x latin by itself is gender neutral mm-hmm. essentially if i understand correctly bell you're saying that you think that uniting concept is a cultural background and language but there are a lot of hispanics in the u.s who are second or even third generation who don't speak spanish Right. So, do you think they're part of that culture as well?
1: Definitely, uh, based on their on their uh, last name and their culture, they may not feel. But I'm talking about um, I'm talking about in in the scope of consumer consumerism. Um, they are Latino, and there are a little bit. There's always a tie, a cultural tie, although they may not identify. And some are third, fourth, fifth generation. And I find, though, that Latinos, when they're younger, um, they kind of, like, separate because they want to be who they are and true to who, how they came up. But towards the end, not towards the end, (laughs) towards middle age, people start – thinking okay well I'm Latino I'm I'm Garcia well where's my family from especially nowadays when people are all into finding out their heritage and their legacy so they always end up identifying with that whether you know it's later in life or or not but that that is how the world sees us you know um, the world sees us as uh, Latinos all under one umbrella and for now I feel as far as consumerism, it's good because we have that buying power. And yes, even people who don't consider themselves Latinos, they grew up on, you know, Mexican food and they like Mexican food. So it, it does kind of fit, factor into that. And you know, as the world is, I'll go even further. I'll go international. Everyone thinks that Latinos are Mexicans because that's what they see in the movies. That's what they see on television. And the writers, they write about Mexicans mostly because we are about 66% of the U.S. population. So when we start dicing ourselves up into like, okay, well, I'm Mexican, although you know, this is, again, for consumerism, not for, you know, personal. Um, then when we start Dividing ourselves up, our power is lessened, I think. So uh, for a consumer uh, purpose, I think Latinos serve as well, being under the label of Latino or Latina or U.S. Latino or U.S. Latina.
0: And I noticed that you didn't use Hispanic. Some people don't like the term Hispanic and some people don't like the term Latino. So we also have that distinction, right?
1: Yeah, this is Belle
0: again. Yes,
1: uh, I never use Hispanic. I just don't like it. Um, I use Latino, Latina, um, and I don't use Latinx yet, or maybe in the future. But for right now, I just don't, don't. I'm not comfortable using it. But we all have to understand that no matter what you call yourself, it's good. Call yourself and identify as you want, as you wish. But remember that everyone has that, right? But in the scope of the overall umbrella, we all are a Latino consumer market or a Latinx consumer market. Or if you want to call yourself a Hispanic,
2: that's fine.
1: I just choose not to call myself Hispanic.
2: Yes, I would um, echo that as well. That's when sometimes things get even more complicated because there's other categories such as Chicana, Chicano, Mexican American. I refer to myself as Mexican American uh rather than Latina or Hispanic just because you know of the distinctions that Bell said regarding everyone thinks that if you're a Latina, you're from Mexico most likely. Um and I wear that flag very proudly. So I do call myself Mexican American um, in my bios and you know during interviews, etc. But obviously Latino is a or Latina is a little bit more encompassing. Um, I do not use Hispanic because I do feel like it is more relating to Spain or Spanish speaking countries. Um, well, obvi- obviously all of Latin America is Spanish speaking except for Brazil. But I just instinctively and intuitively I relate more to Latina but like I said my personal preference is Mexican American
1: and on that note my personal preference is Chicana
0: now you see why everybody is confused including people (laughs) who are not of this background or culture this is Belle
1: I want to just um, point out something Americans, also non-Latino uh, Hispanic Americans, also have a whole list of things they call themselves. I'm Southern. I'm Texan. I'm a, a New Yorker. Uh, so it's, we're no different than that group either. We're no different than mainstream America. We all choose to call ourselves whatever we choose to call ourselves. For some reason. Um, uh, uh, People have been focused on, oh, Latinos, it's so confusing. They don't know when, what they want to call themselves. It's not confusing for when mainstream America does it. Why would it be confusing when we choose to do
0: it? So for purposes of this discussion, we are going to say that all of these terms, Mexican-American, Chicano, Latino, Latinx, Hispanic, are acceptable and refer to, to the concept that we're addressing from a big-picture perspective, which is women who are entrepreneurs who are of these backgrounds. Does that describe it accurately?
1: It does. This is about, yes.
0: Now, we are looking at a really big segment of the overall market, the numbers that I have here, maybe you'll have something more specific, is about 61 million as of 2019, mm-hmm. yes. and a slow, a slowing of growth. So from 1990 to 95, 1995 to 2000, we were seeing almost a 5% growth nationwide, and that has now dropped as of last year to 1.9%. So the overall growth of the population has about less than half. I don't know what the numbers are going to be for this year with everything that's going on. And there are also big changes by region, which I wasn't going to go into here. What can you tell us in terms of the women? Do you have any numbers on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, according to one statistic, by 2060, Latinas will be one third of the U.S. population. So, what was the source of that? Excuse me. What What was the source of that? Um, I'll have to get back to. I do have the source. Um, if you just give me a few minutes, but I'll 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 get the source on that. But um, I definitely, you know, know for sure that Latinas. I hate to say this, but that, you know, we do have a lot of children. We do love having big families. We do – it's just a cultural thing, Um, you know, as opposed to a more Anglo, you know, a concept of family, right? So I think that – Do you
0: have any numbers on that? Because my understanding was that after the first generation, immigrants, all immigrant groups, not just Latinos – tended mm-hmm. to mimic the overall trends of the country that they adopted. And it was my understanding that was true of Latinos as well. One out of every four babies born in the States I thought was Hispanic. Do, do you have any data that you can share with us on that?
2: Well, what I could tell you is that we were already a growing population because of, of the trends from the past. Even if the trends do change from, let's just say, from today moving forward we are still a big portion of the population. I mean, like I like I mentioned, um, by 2060, Latinas should be one-third of the U.S. population because the children that were born are already here. It's not like, you know, even if the trends change, we will, the, the young Latinas that were born, the babies that were born, they're going to grow up and have their own families um, so that, trend, whether it, like I said, whether they become, uh, they adapt to the, the concept of having smaller families, the numbers are still here. It's just that the, the ages are not to, you know, um, for lack of a better word, breeding age yet, but that will happen. I mean, that children will grow up, they will get married, and it's just a, a fact of life that The the Latinos are growing at a more rapid rate, and we just can't ignore that.
0: When you share those numbers, are you including Puerto Rico? This is a question that I get a lot. Are you including the Puerto Ricans living in the continental United States? Are you including the Puerto Ricans on the island, Uh, 3.2
2: million as of last year? Well, I'm just going by numbers I've read in the past, period, and, and Puerto Ricans are considered Latinos.
1: Again, Americans at the same time.
2: Right, and Americans at the same time. So, yes, I mean, Puerto Ricans for sure are part of our, our group. They share our language. They share our culture. Um, whenever there's been issues regarding Latino issues, we have all kind of related to that the different issues that our communities um are plagued with or the challenges so yeah i, I don't see a distinction and, and
1: going back to the children according to the pew um uh, research center um latinos uh, are in the u.s are 35 and younger so um like naiva said you know they're still there there may not be uh, a lot more, like like you stated with the with the research you did for the, with the census, that there is now the slowdown of population, but the number of Latinos are 35 million uh, that increased over a 20, within the 20% increase over a decade, so they are the largest and the fastest growing uh, population in the U.S. The young Latinos.
0: How many of those? 61 million that we were talking about, would you say are women? I have not come across that specific
2: number. Does either of you have that?
1: Oh, the women population. I
2: mean, I heard it was about 55%, so um, there was more, or I read it was about 55%, so women do account for a a little more of that percentage than men.
0: And do you know what percentage of those, that 55%, are among the entrepreneurs that we're talking about today
1: well the latina majority owned businesses uh, back a few years ago like in 2018 were at one point million they were representing 87 percent of a growth over the the five years prior to that so latinas are outpacing uh, male latino owned businesses by 39 percent and uh So 20%, there's a 20% growth of all total female majority-owned firms.
0: Say that again, Bill, please. There's a 27% growth between years or in comparison to genders?
1: No. Yes, in comparison to genders. So
0: there are 27% more women-owned businesses among Latinos no, that they, they the growth.
1: Twenty-seven percent is the growth. Eighty-seven uh, percent is uh, over five years. Is the growth of more Latina-owned businesses, and they are outpace the male-owned firms by thirty-nine percent.
2: You had asked me where I got the twenty. The projections that by twenty-sixty, Latinas will form nearly a third of the female population of the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, it is cited in various different. Uh, sites including the civil rights project by UCLA so it is a definitely true statement and a a verified statement Um, obviously if it's a projection it is a projection Mm -hmm. but all of these uh, different sources do claim that by 2060 Latinas will form nearly a third of the female population of the nation 1.5
0: 1.5 million, I believe, is the number that we're talking about. Is that right?
2: Of
1: businesses.
0: Right. 1.5 million businesses at the national level?
1: Yes. So and here, that's according to um, the
0: Nielsen Company,
1: this, this is a study that the Nielsen Company put together.
0: Okay, that is very helpful. Now, here is the difficult question that I have come across. And I'm trying to jog my memory who it was that talked about it. I, I want to say, let me not say who until I know for sure. But one of the issues that has been raised is that many of these businesses are started because of a lack of choice, because the opportunities that are available to other women and to other cultural and ethnic groups are absent or lacking. And that at the first opportunity, these women will bail on their businesses and take a job because the jobs are or the businesses are not sustainable in the long term and don't generate a lot of revenue. Do either of you have any information in relation to that, what kinds of businesses, what kind of longevity, what kind of long-term growth, et cetera, we're talking about? This is
1: this is Belle, and I'd like to address that based on our experiences when we started Latina Fest, which is a group uh, that was started um, because we wanted to reach our audience when we created our talk show. We found a group of dynamic Latinas of all ages who, contrary to what you just said, because I hadn't heard that fact, um, we find uh, the total opposite um, from personal experiences. We started our Latina Fest um, event, which is an outdoor festival that brings together Latinas from all different cultures, um, all different uh, groups of Latinas um, from their, their different countries. They're all U.S. Uh, Latinas and from all ages, bilingual, bicultural. And what we found was that, and, and several of the women when we did our first festival told us um, that they had launched at our festival, so basically our festival has launched over like 12 new businesses. And some of the women that we interviewed on our talk show and that we participated in Latina Fest have told us the opposite. They've told us that they were at um, a corporate job and that they decided that uh uh, one of them in particular, she owns like a uh, candy cane business, candy cane, um, cotton candy business. And she decided that after she left her work because she was going through postpartum depression, she just said, I just decided to start my business. And it's all like culturally uh, derived flavors of cotton candy, like. Uh, horchata and, uh, me- uh, watermelon and all of the Latino flavors that we like. And she never went back to her corporate job because we, they find that they are so more, much more empowered to be their own boss. Uh, what, another, um, person that started and launched her business when we had our festival was, um, Monica and she had, um, she has a balloon business. And when, after she launched, she just started, um, working with different companies. She worked with the Selena, uh, company when they launched their makeup. She, uh, she has just grown immensely. And we have a lot of those stories to tell. So basically what I'm saying is from our experience, our personal experiences with the group of Latinas that we have as a, a group for under Latina Fest, um, which are over 24,000 followers we have, and all of them, a lot of them, have given us these kinds of examples. So I'm not really familiar, and I'm sure that um, those stats are there, but I was not familiar with those at all.
0: There is an article in USA Today that supports what you're saying, which is that Latinos are la- launching businesses in record numbers, I think uh, the title. Puro Cash, Latinos are opening more small businesses than anyone else in the U.S.
1: That's correct, and that's what we find with latino Fest. Um, from 2018 to now, even in, during the pandemic, we started off with zero followers uh, of you know, on our Instagram and organically without having to buy or, or create any campaigns. It's grown to 24,000 and on its way to 25 because we find these women feed off of the other women that are uh, part of this group. When we have our event, they come and everyone networks and everyone helps each other. We have also events where we create uh, provide resources for them. So that's that's what we're we're on this high um that these women we can attest uh, are such go-getters and no matter what they're going to make their business um survive. And we have like very startup like very very uh young entrepreneurs that have a lot to learn and we have businesses that have already scaled um that are part of our group. So that's, that's what we focus on, you know, that energy, and that's sorry, what feeds us. It sh- sh- I'm so sorry. Okay. All right. Sorry. Go ahead, Naiva. Did you oh, want to say something? Yeah.
2: What I wanted to add to that is that what I found anecdotally is that all of these different entrepreneurs that we've uh, encountered, that we interview um, on our Instagram lives, et cetera, is that most of them do juggle a full-time job. And their side hustle or their business, their entrepreneurship, as they try to grow it. Um, what I have also seen with these entrepreneurs that we um, talk to and try to nurture with our platform at Latina Fest is that some of them do lack the information and resources um, and the "quote inside scoop" to make their businesses grow. Um, and what I what I mean by that is some of them lack, um, you know, uh, connections with their chambers of commerce or connections with the SBA. All of that is is just information and resources that do help small micro entrepreneurs, et cetera. But I feel like right now, uh, Latina entrepreneurs, we are barely, I think because of our history, we are barely catching up to the rest of the entrepreneur population. Um, as far as sharing the resources, sharing information, um, and all of that. So I think that contributes a little bit to to having to hold on to uh, your full-time job and your business at the same time. Um, obviously, it's a lot more challenging uh, to, to, to do that. But hopefully, uh, as time keeps, you know, as, as organizations like Latina Fest and like others keep helping these entrepreneurs, having conferences, having um, informational summits where we bring together leaders in businesses to share those resources and to share ways that you can scale your business, not through your own investment, but through other entrepreneurs that want to fund you or seed money, et cetera. Um, hopefully that will change. But I do feel, I definitely feel like there we have Latina entrepreneurs are going through a learning curve right now. We're living through it right now. Um, but hopefully that learning curve will end Soon, so we can catch up as to to other populations of entrepreneurs, so we can um, become one million plus businesses, um, as opposed to small, you know, playing small.
1: But I believe, Mrs. Bell, I believe that it, it that what Naiva says is true. But there are already a lot of Latina business women who are making an impact, so much so that you have the Aspen Institute stating in 2018 that if the Latino community is the nation's economic powerhouse, then Latinas are the engine, because today Latinas make up one in five women in the US. So we are already getting a lot of notice for there are definitely women who own businesses multi-million dollar businesses and they are making an impact and I believe that that also drives your new beginning Latina entrepreneurs and say wow I can do that Unlike the entertainment industry where there's a lack of presence that is known um, there's a little bit more known and if you're in business you know who your Latina powerhouses are because we look up to them
0: it's It's great that you talked about the entertainment business. Uh, That's something perhaps you know more about being in the entertainment business and out on the West Coast. One of the statistics I've seen is that the representation in entertainment, specifically in films and on television, of Latinos is lower than the overall population should merit Why is that, men and women? Why don't we see Latinos represented in the country overall very often with so many people who have businesses, with so many people who stand out in their fields and who potentially could be excellent contributors? Why is it, and do you have any numbers to share with us?
1: Um, In the entertainment industry, Um, The problem is access. Um, There are not many Latino, Latino, Latinas in positions at the networks or the studios that can green light, which means that can say, yes, we're going to fund your TV show. We're going to fund your movie. And when you have people in those positions that don't understand your stories, and I'll uh, uh, Examples are so many of um, producers who go into a studio and right away they want to change a hero story that is actually based on a Latino or Latina, and this goes for African Americans as well. They go, no, no, but we need to get um, so-and-so to play it. And then they they change the role because they don't see Latinos, Latinas as heroes or as uh, successful people. Uh, so that's what needs to change. Um, we just had the Emmy nominations, the primetime Emmy nominations. Um, there was, uh, they announced the nominations and only one on camera. We're talking on camera. There were other people behind the scenes, but on camera, there was only one person nominated for an Emmy, and that was Alexis Bladell. But there were 150 who were eligible to be nominated, and they, those names all went to the Academy of Television, Arts, and Sciences, and the membership decided that only one person was was uh, merited being a nominee. When you have shows like Vida, uh, Huntify, One Day at a Time, and... So many other shows where there are now chances for Latino talent to show their, their talent to, to members of the academy. Yet only one person was uh, nominated. And again, that goes to the lack of understanding who Latinos are. The lack, the, the membership is uh, predominantly Anglo um, members. There's not enough members uh, that are Latino or people of color that would vote for you for latinos to get a nod for a nomination even and this wasn't even for to give them the um Emmy this was just for a nomination so we have a problem of lack of representation in the, in the power uh elite that chooses to do the films or the television
0: What about public television? I I understand on the private end, sometimes it might be that someone doesn't want to invest in a project that is unfamiliar with a market segment that's unfamiliar. Maybe they think it's risky. Okay, I, I get what you're saying, and the representation in those groups that have been around for a long time, similar issues. But public television is supposed to be representative of the overall population. And yet when we watch programming from public television, it is mostly absent.
1: Well, that's a very good point. Um, I hope that um, PBS um, <clears throat> is listening, or uh, because um, they, there is. We don't want to say that there isn't mm, programming on PBS, and there are, and there's groups like L- the Latino Public Broadcast Organization that. Was founded by Edward James Olmos, and they do a lot of programming, and all of that programming shows on PBS. But for some reason, they still kind of rele- relegate us to Hispanic Month, and that's when you have all of these uh, program, all this Latino-themed programming on. Um, but it's not enough they, they do do um, uh, a lot of programming, more programming than other entities. But it's not enough. We, we represent, you know, 51 million uh, Latinos, and yet we're not represented in that, in that, in those numbers, you know, per capita.
0: Wait a minute. What happened to the 61 million? Is that not accurate?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm behind. 20, 61 million. I'm behind in the times. Yes, that 51 was like, God, uh, about uh, five years ago or something like that. Yes, 61.
0: And is there an assumption – I hear a lot of people tell me that Latinos only watch television in Spanish or media, only consume media in Spanish, and yet the numbers tell us another story. Most Latinos in the U.S. are English-dominant, bilingual, with a small number, relatively speaking, that's Spanish-dominant. Why would we assume that they're only consuming media in Spanish? Can, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Oh, I, uh, Naive, if you want to address mm-hmm. it, I have a very long story about that, and I can cut it down to, like, a uh, couple of sentences, but go ahead, Naive. You can address that first.
2: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, I've been a journalist for over 25 years, and I've worked in both Spanish, such as Univision and Telemundo outlets, and English Um, including uh, uh, KTLA, for example, Reels Channel, France uh, France 24, Larry King's Aura TV. I think there's this uh, stereotype and assumption with Latino consumers that um, the the 60 million that we're referring to right now, that just because we're under the Latino or Hispanic umbrella, we're automatically going to – gravitate towards Spanish language, when in fact, my observation is that, and from what I've experienced throughout my 25 years of, of working for television stations, is that mostly the grandmas, the moms um, that are first, are that are immigrants are the ones that watch Spanish language television, but even moms, such as mine, my, my mom came to this country as an immigrant she actually watches English news. CNN, for example, is one of her favorites. So I think I think uh, there's there's this problem that we are kind of put into this blanket where organizations don't study the nuances of what Hispanics are and what our, our um, what our tastes are. They just make assumptions. Um, so as I mentioned, a lot of first generation, we do want to assimilate because we are Americans and Latinos at the same time. We're Latino Americans. So we do gravitate towards English language viewing or TV shows because we are Americans um, despite or what other people think that we're just automatically going to want to watch Univision or Telemundo. Uh, so that's my personal experience, and I could tell you that I've, I've actually been hired at different TV stations throughout my life because those English-language TV stations wanted to start a Spanish arm, assuming that they were going to capture the 60 million Hispanics irregardless of what the nuances of those 60 million are, irregardless if they're uh, first generation or recent immigrants, they just assume, wow, there's 60 million Hispanics, let's capture them by creating a Spanish arm. That this has happened to me twice in two different stations where I was hired to anchor this Spanish version of this English, uh, you know, show or news program, and it failed. It failed because the audience was just was just not there. Um, so that is my personal experience, and uh, we as Hispanics, as Latinos. We are so diverse in our choices, in our taste, um, so we're not going to automatically flock to Univision, to Telemundo, um, especially because the the style of news, the style of novelas, it's something that's, quote, old school, that um, isn't necessarily, it's it's great in its own right, but it isn't necessarily going to be appealing to new generations and people that have maybe uh, assimilated. And I would like to add something to that because
1: I personally have had this issue ever since Latin Heat, the trade publication started. Uh, It was in English, and I was constantly told by advertisers when I I went out for advertising, well, why aren't you in Spanish? Well, back then in 1992, in 1995, I found this um, report from BBD and O, the big advertising agency that I'm sure is now named something else. Uh, but at that time, they said that 60% of Latinos speak English. And that's always been the case. And what, what I found throughout the years, because I followed this and I keep following this, uh, language issue, is that the, uh, advertising agencies that were, um, at that time in the 90s started in the 80s 90s and into the 2000s they were there to service a community and they were pushing the issue that latinos watch spanish television only um their big client was univision and so there was a lot of us in the entertainment industry who wanted to make television shows in english who had publications in english Who were basically being kicked to the side because the advertising agencies had sold corporate America the bill of goods that we only, we only watch English, uh, Spanish language uh, television. And, and so that's been something that has been, um, disproved. And therefore now you, unfortunately, you don't see, um, you see more advertising agencies taking, um, the Hispanic market and creating like uh, in-house um, groups to to um, to address that. But, yes, it was the advertising agencies that were selling that and were pushing that within um, the um, advertising world. And that's not so. And now you see more of reflection, and now you see more English-language, Latino-themed television shows on your uh, ABCs, on your broadcast networks, and cable. You also see Spanish. It's not to say that the Spanish market doesn't exist, but what was happening is that the majority of U.S. Latinos, we speak maybe two languages, English and Spanish, but like, like me, there's a lot of us who prefer to watch English because we like the programming better. But you know, the telenovelas always draw. So that's not to to disdain them or to say that that's not valid, but there was a major struggle with English language and now i think that's been resolved and we can go forth and because we all want to be on abc we all want to be on netflix everybody's on netflix we all want to be there um and not just be relegated to you know two networks so that that's my take and i'm i'm so happy that that finally uh, a lot of people and marketers realize that english is english language uh, programming for Latinos is very important.
0: And there's two different issues here. One is language, which we've just discussed, and the other one is the content itself. There's also the assumption that Latinos only watch programs that are about Latinos or that are Latino-themed. And, of course, Latinos are diverse, as you have both said, and have diverse tastes. So people want to watch things that are Latino and that relate to their culture, as you have said, but also they want other topics, right?
1: Well, you know, Latinos are are the number one film-going audience. That should tell you that we want to see the big blockbusters. They're the ones that buy the most tickets. Um, On television, I think we're second, uh, I think, after African-Americans, but we watch – all the different shows that we like. But there's a lot of us, like myself, that I love to see Latino-themed shows because they reflect my life. When I was growing up, I didn't see that. So you have shows like Hentified, which is about Boyle Heights, where I grew up. Of course, I'm going to love it. I'm going to watch it. You have the shows like Vida. These are all Latino-themed. But they are all good. They are all good. And so we will watch
0: Programming that is good. Naive, tell us a little bit about books and writing. You started, you founded your own publishing company, and you wrote your first book for children. What was that process like? Because a lot of entertainment also starts with the written stories, and we're also not seeing that at the national level. There's been scandals recently relating to that issue.
2: Right. So the reason I started my publishing company is the exact same reason that we just discussed, the lack of representation. As a Latina journalist, um, one of the themes that I encounter over and over and over again is the lack of Latino representation in media. And it starts from birth. From birth, when children start reading books or, or start are read books by their parents. Only, according to the Cooperative Children's Book Center, only 5% of main characters in children's books are Latino, Um, and that's a huge gap in in the real numbers of our community, which is about 18% of the population. So I, as a mom, as a journalist, felt like it was my duty and it was a call to action to create books that did reflect a more Fair representation of our community in this country. So um, that's why I created books about Latinos, U.S. Latinos, Be Boldly Be Brave, 11 Latinas Who Made U.S. History. Um, specifically, talk about 11 American Latinas, uh, if you will, such as Sonia Soto, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, L.A. County Supervisor Hilda Solis, Ellen Ochoa, astronaut and inventor, Selena, all of these. Uh, women that children should learn about at a young age because definitely their their self-esteem and their image of how their place in America is formed, not when they're watching, you know, not when they're teenagers watching Netflix, it's formed when they're babies and they're learning about who they are and what their place in America is. So basically that is, that was, and is my mission to, have a a more accurate representation of Hispanics and Latinos in children's books, because children's books are the first piece of media that children are exposed to. And this could affect them um, long term, because if they don't see themselves reflected in books, in children's books, they feel invisible. Um, And I could say that from personal experience. I clearly remember when I was in kindergarten and first grade, I clearly, clearly remember Reading about books of other cultures, Asian cultures, African American cultures, I not once remember reading anything about Latino characters. Dora the Explorer came way after my time, um, <laughs> and other books that now feature Latinos, but um, it's just a it's just a travesty that there aren't more books that reflect an accurate portrayal of Latinos. So that that is why I started Contodo Press.
0: Is it that there aren't Hispanics, Latinos who are writing in the United States? Is it that the publishing houses aren't, you know, they're filtering those works out? Is it that the entertainment industry is not embracing their production? What do you think is causing this lack of
2: authors that we see, so it is it's just a perfect storm of everything. Um it starts with the gatekeepers who are the public the big 5 publishing houses who are made up mainly of white males. Um and white males from elite groups, uh, uh, you know, um upper class socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. Um so the gatekeepers don't understand our needs and that is that is a Clearly uh, e- exemplified by the scandal that you mentioned, um, you know, of, of the this book that was published, that had a that was published by a white author,
1: American um, Dirt,
2: American Dirt by you know, and and talked about the immigrant experience in a in a stereotypical way that offended a lot of authentic. In, you know, immigrants that are authentically immigrants that went through the entire process that did not find this book relatable because of different stereotypes that simply are not true or accurate. So it starts from, um, so many different levels. Like, like I mentioned, from the top, from the gatekeepers of these big publishing houses that tend to foster, uh, things that they are comfortable with, that they're familiar with, that they, um, you know, there, I think there's, a lot of blind spots that I don't necessarily know if it's intentional that they're ignoring Latino themed stories or Latino authors. I think it's just a blind spot. And that's why having multicultural um, communities or multi employees that are multicultural are so valuable because they help open your eyes to those blind spots. So that's that. Um, and it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you don't, cultivate authors and book editors that are Latino, it's going to be hard for them to then mentor other Latinos because there's just a lack of, of that machine, of that mentoring machine, right. Of um, seeking out Latino authors because there's not that many. So the more Latino authors there are, the more Latino book editors, the, the, the more we're going to have mentors or at least, role models to to follow. And so that's one that's one thing. Another thing is I remember listening to a podcast where an author was saying that her children's books were rejected by these big publishing houses because they literally wrote her a letter and they said, "Oh, Latino moms do not read to their children, so we don't want to invest in books that are not going to sell." Which is a big fallacy. Um, because my books have sold really, really well, and most of my customers are Latina moms that do want to read to their children about figures and role models of our community. So that's another thing. Um, the third thing is just the, the lack of information, because I do see that, that once a community has resources, has access, we do tend to share it and help others. So if there's not that machine of mentorship of, uh, as I mentioned before, then it's going to be hard for other Latinos to, you know, to to come and get into the fold, so to speak. So, for example, what I've noticed personally is because I started this publishing journey, a lot of Latinas have reached out to me asking for mentorship, asking for coaching, asking for advice. And I have been able to do that. For a lot of Latina authors, and a, and a few of them have now already self-published their own books. So that hopefully will will keep happening, and you know the more Latina authors we have, the more other Latinas will say, well, if she could do it, I could do it. Um, so it's just a big, it's just a big storm, uh, uh, the perfect storm that needs to to change in order for us to have more books by Latina authors and Latino authors, and. Because of this American Dirt scandal, I think it kind of just opened a little bit of that conversation in all different levels. So we're all in, in this fight together, and, and I'm one of the one of the people that's trying to make make those numbers change a little bit.
0: How does that relate to this entrepreneurial spirit that we're discussing today? What is it about women of Latino background, Latina women, Chicano women, Mexican-American women, that unites this whole group, we're talking about 55% of a 61 million population, that's a big chunk, and many of them are entrepreneurial, why do you think that is? What are the commonalities that these women share? Not the things that they are different in, which are many also, but what are the things that you think they have in common that brings forward this large spirit of entrepreneurship? Well, this is Belle, and I feel that it's it's
1: the ability to say, I'm in charge, and. I know I can do it. One of the commonalities is that we, uh, as Latinas, and I know I'm speaking from the Latinas that I know, most of them are go getters. They're not going to sit around and, and wonder when this is going to happen. They take it into their hands and say, I'm going to do this. And not only that, we have this, this spirit of, of, We we can do it, and we're not going to stop, and we're not going to quit. We are hard workers. We will take it to the very end and see it through. That's one of the things that I find is that we're hard workers. And besides that is that we have now, I feel like we've come into our own, because I know I grew up thinking, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that, because I didn't see anyone doing it. But we have come into this period of time where we go, I can do that. I can start a business. I can sell. And you know, as Latinas, we sell. Our mothers used to sell Avon and Mary Kay because they also had side gigs. So it's kind of, it's kind of the same now. They would go to their factory job and then they had their side gig, which was selling, uh, Avon or whatever. Well, now it's the same thing. Some of us have our side, our job job and then we start our side hustle, which is our business. And then sometimes we leave. Our corporate jobs to to focus on our business and so I think the commonality is that we have permission from ourselves to say yes I can do this we're hard workers and we'll see it through and the other thing that that we found with our Latina Fest is that we all are enthusiastic about this and we share we share at our festival there's so many relationships that are made because vendor to vendor they go and what are you doing? Oh, I can help you do this. I can help you that, do that. And that's one of the things that we personally found when we did our first festival, it was a, a, you know, we, we expected like 400 people to show up, but 2000 people showed up. And what happened is that we didn't have enough sponsorship. So uh, a lot of the women, uh, said, hey, I can do this for you, so let's exchange, and they they gave us services, and then we gave them, uh, you know, in-kind, and so we just helped each other, so that's another commonality. We want to help each other grow.
2: Yeah, and I definitely see a a shift in how we used to see those side hustles that our parents possibly did, um, that Belle was talking about, the, the... Dad, that's a mechanic by day, and then during the weekends he sells tacos for birthday parties, right? The mom that juggled being a nanny, um, in essence, starting her own nanny business, right? That is a that is a business. That is a small business. Um, the woman that sells fruit in the corner, that is an entrepreneurial business. And I feel like the conversations that ha- are ha- are that we're having with other Latinas, we're changing the way, there There used to be shame in that, there used to be shame in like, oh, Latinas, you know, all we do is our, we're nannies or we sell fruit or we sell oranges, blah, blah, blah. But the conversation is now, you know what, let's, let's look at that as the spirit of entrepreneurship. The other day I was getting off of the freeway and I saw a Latino man in a wheelchair selling oranges. He was in a wheelchair, he had no legs. And that entrepreneurial spirit that us immigrants have, I think is translating into seeing that and using that entrepreneurial spirit to think bigger, to think bigger than what our parents or past generations did and say, well, if I had the wherewithal to open a a fruit cart or a paleta cart, what is the difference between opening another type of business that I'm passionate about, such as a publishing company? It's the same type of you know, hut spa or whatever you want to call it, that you need. You need that motivation. You need the to have that dream. You need to get yourself organized. You need to get you know your your little seed money, whether it's fifty dollars or a thousand dollars. So I, I definitely feel hopeful that more and more Latinas are going to have that confidence because the reality is, most of our parents were not. CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and that's just the reality, right? So we didn't have those conversations with our parents at the dinner table of interning for a Fortune 500 company, right? And and for uh, a lot of Latinos haven't been groomed to think that way. But now I do see a change, and I do see that we're, we're starting to groom next, future generations to think big, to think that way. Um, So there's a lot, and I think that's one of the reasons why Latina entrepreneurship specifically has been growing at a faster rate than any other uh, community uh, as of late.
0: Tell me a little bit more about that, Naibé, if you would. A lot of people say, well, immigrants are immigrants. They – as first generations, when they first arrive, they work harder, they try harder, they commit less crimes. The, the, many of the studies i seem to recall something from the Southern Law Poverty Center that talked about that, that recently arrived immigrants, including Latinos, commit fewer crimes, work harder, work longer hours, are more excited about and thankful for the opportunities that they have. But they say, but it's all immigrants. In what way are Latinos, and in this case Latinas, special?
2: Bell, did you want to take it?
1: Um, well, we are we the first question you asked was was the one I wanted to answer um, that you say that um, all immigrants they come and they do well. I think what what, We're seeing is that that is true, yes, and those studies are there. But what we're saying, we're seeing is that the children of those immigrants who worked hard and did well, we want better than what our parents gave us. Although they gave us so much, and it gave us the opportunity to to become a a member of society and citizens of this country to take advantages of all of what's out there for us to better ourselves. So we continue that their legacy. We continue that legacy of they worked hard, we saw how hard that work and maybe that's why we worked just as hard because we had our parents to give us that example. And I believe that we continue that legacy because for the most part, uh, we are that entrepreneurial uh, people that our parents were. We want to do better. And as we go forth, which happens to all immigrants, you know, you're here and then the second generation makes more advances and then the third and the fourth. So that's what we're seeing. Uh, we're seeing that uh, there's a lot of uh, Latinos who are here, like first or second or third generation, who who deserve and know that they deserve what everyone else has. And I see a change, a, a, a shift in the way – uh, Latinos and Millennials um, think as opposed to baby boomers which I'm in the baby boomer um, generation um, they they're they have no qualms about what they're gonna do most for the m- most part they know that whatever they want to do they can do and I and I'll relate it to the entertainment industry because I see that uh, and I've seen it because I was in it and before, when you came to the entertainment industry as a new, uh, talent, it took you a while to get started. Um, and now, um, like, for instance, it took you like five years to finally land that role, that first role on television. Now it's taking some of Latinos that are coming into town. They, they have stories like, Oh, I just got here and I, I just, I'm on the series. And it's, it's happening that way because not only is the, the business opening up, to be a little bit more inclusive but it's also their attitude yeah i can do that and and that comes from seeing their parents that comes from seeing other people do it so that that's what i want to address you know we are our fathers and mothers children and they want us to move forward and we are we're moving forward
2: but there was just one little thing that i wanted to add because when when a, in the beginning of the conversation, when you asked me about the growth of Latino population. Yeah. I just wanted to add one thing because I felt like I, I need to validate that statement. And I found a, a I found a, a source. Go for it. Okay. So we were talking about the growth of Latino population and, Most of it has to do with fertility, et cetera, and and the culture of us having more children. And I did find um, a statistic from the Hispanics and Future of America by the National Research Council Panel on Hispanics in the United States. And they do um, concur that that Latino population growth has happened because relatively high rates of Latino fertility – constitute roughly half of all population growth. The fertility is comprised largely of births to immigrants, but a sizable component can also be attributed to the U.S. born. So that trend I don't think is going to die down anytime soon um, because our fertility rates, according to this source, are still higher than other populations. Okay, that's all. That's great. (laughs) Do you know what year that's from? Um, I can send, do you want me to send you the link? It's from 2006. So it's like 15 years ago, or less than that, 14 years ago. So that's about
0: 15 years old in terms of the age of the data, maybe more, because a lot of that data tends to be old when they get access to it.
1: Mm -hmm. And then the trends do change.
0: I know that there is an event you have mentioned it a couple of times the Latina Fest uh, if you would tell us this is for women entrepreneurs is that right
1: um, actually Latina Fest is an organization or a festival that Naiva and I put together uh, because of our talk show we wanted to expand our audience so we um, created a day uh, event where uh, Latinas would come, and it was for all women of all ages and socioeconomic backgrounds. It was an outdoor festival bringing together entrepreneurs, educators, decision makers, and Latinas from all walks of life who are bilingual, bicultural. So what we found is that we found this dynamic group of Latina business owners. We kind of expanded our Latina Fest brand into a couple of quarterly workshops where we provided resources for their growth, information. And then uh, we were going to have our third annual this year and the pandemic hit. So we decided to go virtual. And since this one is mostly focused on entrepreneurship, because that is the core of our audience. And so it's called, it's called uh, Entrepreneur Fest presented by Latina Fest and a documentary called All In, The Fight for Democracy, which will be out in September. Um, and it's about voter suppression. So the issues that uh, Latinas are dealing with are covered under the umbrella of Entrepreneur Fest. There's a lot of Entrepreneur Fest mentoring. There's a special guest speakers who are well-known um uh, entrepreneurs. There's inspirational uh, speeches. There are. We're going to interview the woman from the one of the co-directors of the the documentary. Uh, we're going to interview our vendors, who are our the the core of our of our festival. Uh, it's a virtual festival, and yeah, we're very excited. We're going to be covered by ABC 7, the local LA affiliate, and we're going to be um, a streamed on their app to over like 6.6 million viewers. Uh, we're going to be on Facebook and YouTube and Naive.
2: Yeah. What else did I forget? I wanted to add something that entrepreneur fest and Latina fest are examples of how bell as an entrepreneur, me as an entrepreneur, we are trying to create platforms for Latinas where they don't exist. Um, Latinas are sorely underrepresented in media Especially in mainstream media, meaning English language media. So our platform allows them to have their own platform to speak about their business, to speak about their mission, to speak about um, you know their journey as an entrepreneur. And that's important because when they're talking about their mission, they're helping other you know another an 30 or 100 women that are watching them, hearing their stories. Relating to them and then, and then giving them that confidence to start their own business. So it's kind of like a, a machine that is helping to nurture, foster, create more entrepreneurs. Um, for example, in this entrepreneurship that we're having, since we are having ABC7 as our media sponsor, they are doing profiles on ABC7, uh, about two of our entrepreneurs. That's an amazing opportunity, um, that these women wouldn't have had access to these Latina entrepreneurs had we not created this festival. Now they're going to be featured on KBC and their story is actually also going to go on to their national uh, show that features different, you know, different people and profiles from around the country. So that is another thing that we're helping to, to create with our festivals. We want to give these women the confidence, the platform to meet other entrepreneurs to engage with other entrepreneurs, and inspire future entrepreneurs.
0: Uh, so is this very specifically for Los Angelinos, or is, does this have a broader scope now that it's virtual?
1: It's okay. broader scope because um, we, we're going to be on YouTube and Facebook, and anyone in the whole world can watch, and we want them to watch because we want to bring light to the, these Latina entrepreneurs and to these wonderful women who are going to be speaking and to the very important documentary that's going to be uh, coming out. So it is in, uh, in scope, it's, um, it's national. And we also have entrepreneurs from New York participating. We have, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Nadine Ramos, uh, CEO of Lazio. We also have, uh, Natalie Molina Nino, who is, uh, she is the CEO of Brava Investments. She invests in startups. She's going to be part of it. Uh, Nellie Galan, who has the Adelante program, which of course mentors women and entrepreneurs. She's going to be on the show. We have a lot of wonderful guests. We also have, um, a spoken word, um, artist who's going to be talking about immigration. We're also going to deal with the black and um, brown unity that has resulted out of the um, out of what's been happening during the pandemic. Uh, Floyd,
2: yeah. We're also going to have someone from the SBA, Small Business Administration, uh, talking about resources for Latinas and for business owners in general. And that conversation is not going to be region specific. We are very careful when we do these events. We don't. We want to make everyone feel welcome because we have, as Latinas, been marginalized. We don't want to make anybody feel marginalized. It doesn't matter what kind, you know, what background you're from. It doesn't matter what state you're in. We want everyone to feel that they belong in this festival. What about men? Oh of course. Yes. Definitely. definitely men are are allies, right? Um and I I have a, a sweet spot for men because I feel like brown men have been victimized a lot and and sometimes they do get the short end of the stick um in different areas because for you know, societal re- reasons that I don't want to get into, but yes, men have participated at Latina Fest and what I love is when I see men coming to support their wives there a lot of latina entrepreneurs have bring their husbands as their assistants and i love seeing that
0: (laughs) and so this is going to be virtual is there an admission fee an attendance fee can anybody attend
1: anybody can attend as long as you have a computer or a phone um you can sign up at eventbrite at entrepreneur fest um there's also our website, latinafest.net. Uh, all the information, all the speaker uh, profiles will be there. All our sponsors will be there. And uh, we're just really excited to have as many people come and meet, meet uh, this movement. It's a movement that I'm sure there's other uh, – it's been um, seen in other places, but we know it here at Latina Fest – because we just see it. It's a big, big wave that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's a big positive wave. Everyone's on a big high. And we just want to share the spirit of the Latina entrepreneur with you.
2: It's free. It's free for anybody. So sign up at latinafest.net or you can go to our Instagram, latinafest, and you will find the link to sign up for free.
0: So latinafest.net will get you into the event, and it is on Saturday the 22nd, is that right? Yes. And at what time? It's
1: from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., so uh, make, figure out the, the Eastern time, but that's Pacific Standard Time.
0: On the 22nd of August, which is a Saturday, from 11 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon Pacific Standard Time? Correct. And they can access the event through Eventbrite, through your website, as well as some social media. I noticed uh, Twitter is not on the list, so it's not available on Twitter?
1: We, we have a Twitter. Uh, it's Latina Fest as well. But Instagram, if you guys are on Instagram, go there. You can go to uh, the sign-up sheet from Instagram, Latina Fe- at
0: Latina Fest. Going back to our topic of Latina entrepreneurship, for those listeners who are interested in starting their own business, as you were saying earlier, who have a job and a side gig, for those who already have a business uh, but they want to grow to the next level, maybe they're interested in financing or angel investors, maybe they're looking for mentors, wherever it is that they are in their entrepreneurial journey, what suggestions would you share with them in terms of resources? Where can they connect with other women entrepreneurs? Do you have any tips or any resources that you could share, ladies?
2: I'd like to just uh, encourage people to check out their local chamber of commerce. Um, Also, the SBA, we're learning now through this pandemic um, how important it is to have a relationship with, these types of organizations, so your SBA, uh, local chamber of commerce, with your bank, when you are thinking of opening a business, um, you know, I, I always say start before you're ready. Have a conversation with the banker. Have a conversation with people, friends and family that may be your seed investors. There's very, very simple things that you can do. And also, we have Google on our side as far as just Google latina entrepreneur organizations and you'll find organizations such as latina fest or others around the country that can be uh, a group that you can learn from that you can belong to and you can seek mentors from and
1: uh, this is bell also locally um, i'm sure that every city or they should have they have groups that uh are for young entrepreneurs or for, you know, mid-sized entrepreneurs. Here in LA, we have on, um, Entrepreneur Fest, we're gonna have, uh, Hilda Solis, who is the Los Angeles County Supervisor for District 1. She just opened up a center. It's called the East LA Entrepreneur Center in East LA. So I'm sure that every city might have that. And also, um, in this, that's where you start, but when you, when there are resources that we, um, can also give, for instance, Natalie Molina Nino, who is the CEO of Brava Investments, she invests in, uh, young startups. And she said, she's also the author of Leapfrog, which is about, uh, entrepreneurship. And she says, I want to, you know, uh, fund your business. So she funds businesses that have already, Kind of scale, not really young businesses, so you know that's those are things that we have uh, a lot of our um, people that are going to be on entrepreneur fest those are people that uh, young entrepreneurs should look up and see how they did it. We also have a wonderful message from Nadine Ramos who is with the Laio hair care professionals about how she scales from nothing. To a, a very successful company. So you look around, look around your area and, and read. And I'm sure, like Naiva says, Google and you'll find a lot of Latinas who are doing it. And the best part is that they're willing to help because they know how hard it is and they want to help.
0: Belle, your recommendation is that they seek out other Latinas. Is that right?
1: Yes. Other Latinas like Natalie Molina Nino, CEO of Bravo Investments um and your local um organizations maybe that your politicians have already put there in your neighborhood and those are more personalized um information.
0: Bell and Naive, thank you for joining us from Los Angeles, California. So nice. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was wonderful to uh speak with you and speak to your audience. And to our audience, you have been listening to Bell Hernandez Castillo, who is Chief Executive Officer of Latin, Hit, Latin Heat Media, and Naive Reynoso, who is founder of Contodo Press. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.